I want to welcome our satellites. We've got people who watch this online. We've got people who meet together in homes, and I'm so thankful for them. So I want to welcome you. We're going to dive in on page 7 in your study guide. We're going to be looking at Romans 6 together. Let me pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to what you want to speak to us. Give us courage for transformation. Give us peace knowing that we belong to you. We believe, help our unbelief, God. We invite you now. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see you. Come Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, my friend, my God, my Savior, my rock. In your name, amen. The language of Christianity is a language of transformation, right? To be a Christian, to become a Christian is to change. Remember in John chapter 3, we have this record of this event in the life of Jesus where this religious guy, he was a religious leader, uh, came to ask Jesus a question. Now he was a part of a group that wasn't quite sure what to do with this rabbi Jesus. Because Rabbi Jesus' teachings were so radically different. He had a message of his kingdom. He claimed to have a kingdom. And whenever this Rabbi Jesus spoke, he was talking about his kingdom. And he was talking about a kingdom that was very different than they were anticipating. It was a, a kingdom that was upside down. It was a kingdom filled with mercy and grace. It was a kingdom of a God who wanted to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light. And I love this because this wasn't a seeker like a person who was trying to figure out if there is a God. This was a person who was very clear that he believed there was a God. But this rabbi unbeknownst to him who was God, taught so differently than what he had heard. And so he didn't want his other religious buddies to know this. So he came at night to have a conversation with Jesus. And basically, he didn't ask it exactly this way, but Jesus saw through and knew exactly what he was asking. And what he was asking was, how do, I, how do I get into this kingdom? How do I get into the kingdom you're talking about? How do I get into the kingdom where there's a righteousness that's beyond anything I've ever even imagined, that's extended with grace, that's open to anyone who would come? How do I, how do I get there? And Jesus doesn't answer how he anticipates. Jesus doesn't give him a list of rules. 
does, doesn't give him a you know, nirvana path. Do these things and you get there. What Jesus basically says is something has to happen to you. You're gonna be transformed. If you wanna go from the kingdom of darkness and step into the, this kingdom of light, if you want to come into my kingdom, you'll have to be born again. And I love what this guy respond, how he responds. He says, um, and he literally, he says this. He says, so are we, how's that even possible? How do you crawl back into your mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. It's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit comes and he, he renews you, he changes you, he transforms you, he breathes upon you, and you receive this new birth. The language of the Christian life is a language of newness. It's a language of transformation. It's a language of change. So why are some Christians so mean? Why are Christians selfish? Why are Christians arrogant? Why do Christians lie? Why are Christians so afraid? Why are they addicted? Why are they unforgiving? Why am I these things? I'm a pastor and I lie. I don't, I'm not proud to tell you that, but I do. I wanna stay tender to the spirit so that when I do, I confess quickly. I'm a pastor and I'm fearful. I'm a pastor and I'm arrogant. I'm a pastor and I'm selfish. I was talking to a friend who many years ago was in a very toxic marriage and she was telling me her story and she and her ex, now ex-husband were in a church. This was again, I don't know, 30 some years ago, a long time. And um, they were in a church and so she and her husband started going to their pastor for counseling, right? They met with their pastor for two or three years. Ultimately, their marriage ended in divorce. She said this, and I, I wrote it down after we had this conversation. I went and put it in my journal because I thought it was so profound. She said, she said, the church and Christianity didn't give me tools to change. I had to find those in other places. And she did, she did. The church told me to pray more and submit more to my husband, but it didn't fix my marriage. So I wanna say this before we plow into six weeks talking about how do we change? What has God done to help us change and be people of transformation? I do believe from when she was involved in the church, I think we've gotten a little wiser. 
I love that here at Christian Assembly we have Thrive classes, we have AA groups, we have programs to work, right? We have therapists, we have a counseling center attached to our church. Because here's the thing, friends, and this is what this friend of mine was bumping up against. She was just kind of being told to pray it away. But nothing was changing. But you see, sometimes we're dealing with mental illness. We're dealing with addiction. We're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with abuse. In the late 80s, early 90s, I struggled with depression. And I was a Christian. I was on staff at a church. And I was going to suck it up. And I was going to get through it. And I was going to read my Bible more. And I was going to pray more. And thank God, <laughs> he sent to me a friend <laughs> who said, you need medication. <laughs> you need a therapist. I actually had a therapist. But, and I, I am so thankful for medication. I'm so thankful for AA. I'm so thankful for Al-Anon. I'm so thankful for therapists who are trained and equipped to deal with addictions and trauma and abuse and mental illness and, and those kind of things. Can I say this? Pastors are not therapists. <laughs> That's why I think churches are getting smart and putting counseling centers alongside their churches, right? Pastors are sweet people. I'm a sweet person. Not all the time, but the, some, some of our pastors are sweeter than me. But I remember a woman came to me. She said um, that she was sharing with me some stuff she was dealing with, and she uh, wanted to start meeting with me regularly. And um, I told her, I said, you do not want to meet with me. I mean, I mean, this was great, and I'll pray for you. If you want to grow in prayer, if you want to grow in how to study the scripture, if you want to grow in integrating your faith in your work, if you want to grow in, in walking in the spirit, I'm your girl, right? I'm your woman. But what, your, what this particular woman was walking through, I was like, you need a therapist. I'm not your therapist. I'm not equipped. And I'm thankful. Because most people who go into ministry, including myself, go in with a Messiah complex. And we do want to fix you. And we do want to make you better. But I'm thankful that I have grown to know, one, a mantra I repeat every morning, I am not the Christ. Right? I am not the Christ. And I'm not a therapist. So I wanted to say that. Because we are going to talk about change. But the Bible is a book that is about God it is a book that is about the gospel. It is not a how-to-fix-it book. As you sit in your groups, whether it's in a satellite group, whether it's here and around a table, we are not invited to fix each other. We, we are not capable of it. Friends, if you want advice, then you say that. I, I would like y'all's advice, okay? And if you don't hear someone say, I want your advice, then you just listen. And you be careful not to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. Right? 
Now, I do think we should ask for advice at times. I am thankful for good advice, for good therapists, for good pastors, for good people who have walked alongside me and discipled me and helped me be a follower of Jesus and look a little bit more like him each day. But we are not here to fix it. We're here to invite the Spirit to do what he does. We're here to submit ourselves to what the Spirit is inviting us to, and he might be inviting us to medication. <laughs> he did for me, thank you. But the Bible does have something to say about change. The Bible does have something to tell us about wisdom, for sure. The Bible, as we look at Romans, Romans one through five, like I mentioned, has told us what has been accomplished for us through Christ. And now Romans 6 through 8 and actually the rest of the book is going to tell us how to set in motion that change. That our identity in Christ, and I want you to hear this, write this down if you only write down one thing. Our identity in Christ is something that we receive. Our identity in Christ is received. It is a gift Romans 1 through 5, it is not achieved, okay? Our identity is received, not achieved. But this identity, and this is what Paul's going to tell us in 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, this identity now comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 is going to bring it. I can't wait to get there. And it's going to tell us we are not stuck. You are not stuck. God is giving us the resources. Even the gospel, the truth of my identity in Christ is a resource that tells me that I can be humble enough to receive help outside myself. And I don't have to hide and I don't have to pretend because Jesus loves me, this I know. Our salvation is a gift from God. And our sanctification, the big word, theological term for being made more like Jesus, our sanctification is cooperation with God through his spirit, the God who lives in us. Our salvation is a gift from God. Our sanctification is cooperation with God. It's not a striving. That's what I want us to hear. It's not a striving. It's cooperation. It's a leaning in. There is effort. There is intention. Eugene Peterson or Richard Foster or probably C.S. Lewis, this quote has been attributed to a lot of people, said this. The gospel is opposed to earning not effort. The gospel is opposed to the concept of earning your salvation, but it is not opposed to effort, to leaning in, to cooperating with God, with the Spirit. And so this is where change is going to start. This is where we're going to start today. We're going to start with our new identity accomplished for us in Christ. Romans 6, that was a long introduction, but we're here. You ready? Right there, verse 1. 
Paul, who has just laid out this amazing grace, the salvation that is received, he says this, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right, this is the question. If, you, if your Christian faith is all about grace, then why does it even matter how I live, right? Because you see, often what people are looking at Christianity and they're seeing it as just, well, I'll, I'll tap into the Christian thing, kind of like a get out of hell free card, right? That is not the invitation of Christianity. I mean, I believe in hell and I do believe that God saves us and Jesus came to save us from that, but he came to save us for our today, not just our tomorrow. So this question, Paul anticipates, should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? And what I love is what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, no, 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 no. Don't keep sinning, you'll go to hell. Oh, no, 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 don't keep sinning. Bad things will happen to you. See, that throws people off because sometimes they look at a lot of people who are doing a lot of sinning and nothing bad seems to be happening to them, right? But, uh, but Paul, and I'm not saying I do think some bad things can happen, but, but that's not his motivation. And he doesn't say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't keep sinning. You want God to bless you, right? See, all of what that reveals, if Paul were to say that, he, it would reveal that our salvation, that our, our faith was motivated by a fear, right? But, but Paul's motivation is this. He says, verse two, by no means should you keep sinning because we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What Paul points to, why would we, not want, not want, why would we want to stop sinning is because our identity has changed. Our identity has now been defined by God in Christ by what he's accomplished for us. Paul's gonna go on and he's gonna say, you've been changed. Why would you keep living the same? You have been transformed. Sin was your master and now it is not. Christ died on the cross and was resurrected to change you, to conquer sin, to conquer death. Remember, First time sin is mentioned in the scripture, in Genesis, sin is crouching at the door. It longs to control you. It longs to master you. Paul says that is no longer. When you came to faith in Christ, sin was defeated as your master. Now, do, will you still battle with it? Will you struggle with it? Yes, we're going to talk more about that. But sin has been removed as your master. Christ is your master. You've been changed, verse three. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized, or the language here really is the idea of being identified. When you get baptized, it's not the baptism that saves you, but it's this idea that you have identified yourself with Christ. When someone gets baptized in a church, they are saying, I have identified myself with Christ. I'm in his kingdom. I'm walking it out with him. I am in him, he is in me. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We shared in his death. What was accomplished in his, in his death 
was accomplished for us. That's why Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Verse four, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You've got a new life. You have a new identity. Why would you keep on sinning? Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his, for we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I know this is a lot. Verse eight. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Once for all, his sacrifice accomplished what it needed to accomplish. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, in the same way, count yourselves, know yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, this is why we don't keep on sinning, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. We're gonna talk about what are we offering ourselves to, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. This is where change starts. Change starts in the believing who you are. Change starts with receiving what was accomplished for you by Christ and by now living in that identity in Christ. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it's there on page eight, he says this, for Christ's love compels us because we were, are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And then the, he goes on, he says in verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. And then verse 17, first verse I ever memorized as a new Christian. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The way I memorized it, um, I think it was NASB, was therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When you placed your faith in Christ, Christ placed himself in you. Wow. We're gonna talk about his Holy Spirit indwelling us. And this is what Romans 6 through 8 is gonna tell you about your identity. It's there on page 9. Now you might add to this list. This was just a list I made. I might have missed some things. I want you to do this with me if you would indulge me. 
what we're gonna discover is these things are true of us in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so I want you to read this with me. I want to hear you to hear yourself say, this is who I am. And so we're gonna simply just read each one of them. I am, I am, okay, you with me? I am dead to sin and alive to God. I am baptized into Christ. I am united with Christ. I am set free from sin. I am an instrument of righteousness, a slave to righteousness. I am under grace. I am a recipient of eternal life. I am one who belongs to Jesus. I am not condemned. I am indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. I am raised with Christ. I am adopted child of God now and not yet. We'll talk about that. I am an heir of God, co-heir with Christ. I am one who shares in the glory of God. I am a recipient of the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. I am saved from the reign of sin. I am called according to the God's purpose. I am foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I am justified. I am glorified. I am securely loved by God forever. We are probably more than conquerors through God who loves us. That's left off. We are more than conquerors through God who loves us. And what I want to do right now is I want to just create a space. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So grab a pen, and I want you to look back through this list, and I want you to circle one or two, no more than three, but maybe it's just one. What's one truth about you that you tend to resist? What's one truth about you that you need to invite the Spirit over the next five weeks to take from your head, move it into your heart, and out into your life? So I'm just going to create some quiet. Holy Spirit, speak to each woman here. Whisper to them. What is the truth that you want to go deeper into their soul? What's the one thing? Circle that truth. St. Catherine of Siena said this, 
Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Be who God meant you to be. Be what he accomplished for you to be, his. Receive all that he has for you. Live in the identity he has placed upon you. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Indulge me, friends. Can we sing, somebody needs to get us started because you know I, I will botch it. Can we sing Jesus Loves Me? Somebody get us going. The I want to sing it one more time, and this time I want us to sing, I am weak, but he is strong. Oh, friends, this is the great grace of the gospel. This is one of the ways that the gospel changes us, is we do not have to be afraid of our weakness. We do not have to cover up our weakness. When God approves of you, then why does it matter if anyone else approves of you? <laughs> when God has rescued you, when God has paid the price and adopted you as his own, he does not need you to be strong. He just needs you to live in him and with him. So let's sing it one more time. I am weak but he is strong. Amen and amen. <laughs>